hello, good to be with you. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, my name is Rich, and not normally at the West Site. They got to be here last week, which is very fun. Um, I always love coming over to West Site, and particularly today, because it's very warm here. <laughs> now, that's not normally a thing in my experience, so this is great. So I'm very pleased to see that. So if I start sweating, apologies. Um, we're going to be looking at the next chunk of Colossians, uh, this letter from a guy called Paul, uh, one of the early church leaders in the Christian church. And uh, he writes this letter to the people in Colossae. That's what Colossians means. And it's not a word we use very often in normal life. If it was written to us today, the, the book would be called Brummies. Uh, it's not, though. It's called the Colossians, uh, the letter to the Colossians. But I think it can speak to Brummies and people who've come to live in Birmingham but who don't have the accent as well. So we're excited. Um, I want to begin by telling you a little story, um, a story from my past, which um, includes uh, this, some socks. You know, this is profound. Okay, I hope you're ready. This is kind of the level we go with when I'm preaching. We look at a pair of socks. These are quite nice, aren't they? I chose them especially. Uh, These are not the pair of socks that this incident happened with, but they are a pair of socks, so it helps us think. In case you didn't know what socks were, is my point there. Um, When I was about seven, um, this very kind of, I'm going to be really vulnerable with you here, guys. This incident happened in my life, okay? I was sat uh, on the edge of my bed. I just finished getting dressed, and I was putting on a pair of socks somewhat smaller than this and less snazzy. And my dad came in, and he said, Rich, what are you doing? And I said, I'm just, you know, getting ready. Nearly ready, Dad, don't worry. You know, we can go soon. Don't worry, I'm nearly ready. And uh, he said, no, no, Rich, what are you doing with your socks? And I sort of... Uh, putting them on my feet. And he said, oh, Rich, today's the day. I need to tell you something. There is a left and a right sock. Okay. And I sort of there, and I'm seven years old going, what? I never knew this. Now, I've been putting socks on my own for maybe, I don't know how often, you know, two years, three years or something. I've been able to do that. Had never heard this incredible reality that there's a left and a right sock. Now, the fact that my dad was sort of smirking didn't read that very well, didn't realise he was joking. And you're sort of giggling, and I'm really looking forward to playing the same trick on Grace when she's a little bit older, um, which will be very fun. Now, it's a perfectly innocent, practical joke in my life until you just think about the implications of that hideous lie from my father, okay? That for every day, for probably more years than I'd like to admit, just for about 30 seconds or so every day, I went to put my socks on and just began to just hold them up so I'd say, which, which one is this? Ah, this, this, oh, this is the left one, yes. Oh, no, it isn't, it's the right, sorry, yes, right, put this on. And wasted 30 to 40 seconds every day for several years thinking that there was a left and a right sock. Okay, I would look at my friends getting changed after PE, and they would just seem to instinctively know which sock was which. And I'd go, how are you doing this so quickly? As I'd sort of pretend I knew, but would always wonder if I was sort of walking in the wrong way. This is a hideous lie from my father, but it does teach us something slightly more profound than the sock analogy, uh, which is this. If you believe things in your life that are not true, (laughs) it has real implications for your life, okay? Now, they weren't that bad for me, okay, because it was just about socks, but if you believe things in your life that are not true, that are a lie, a deception, a delusion then that has practical implications for your life. So if you believe there's a left and a right sock, you waste time every day. If you believe that the world is flat, you don't explore all the way in case you fall off. If you believe that you're not being recorded by Daily Telegraph journalists, 
you offer to break rules for 400 grand and get yourself sacked as the England manager, like Sam Allardyce did. Okay, if you believe something that's not true, then it has implications for your life. And in our passage in Colossians, <clears throat> Paul kind of ends the passage that we're going to be looking at, and we'll read the full passage in a second. He ends the passage by making this point, basically. He says in chapter 2, verse 4, he basically says, I have said all of this to you, everything that I've just gone on about, and it's a little bit sort of deep and a little bit kind of hard to figure out. He just makes this point. All of that, the reason I've said all of that to you today, the reason that you should listen to the talk today is because I don't want you to be deluded by clever-sounding things. I want you to think clearly. I want you to see the world correctly. I, don't, I really long that you wouldn't be deluded. Because if you think about things wrongly, it has implications for your life. Um, now, just need to pause there for a second before we read it. And I just want you to consider with me for a second who Paul is speaking to when he says, I don't want you to be deluded, okay? So just think about it. Who's he speaking to? Is he speaking to the atheist society of Colossae? No, he isn't. We don't have that letter if he wrote it. Uh, He isn't speaking to people who don't believe in God, saying, you've got to be careful that you're not deluded, right? He's not saying that. He's not speaking to people who are agnostic, so not sure what they believe, saying, you need to make sure you're not deluded, okay? He's not even speaking to kind of, fringe, kind of not really going for it Christians, okay? He's speaking to the church in Colossae, who in the Bible are probably the group of Christians who, he, who God most celebrates, okay? He thinks the absolute world of them. So in chapter uh, 2, verse 5, he literally says, I rejoice when I see how you're doing. You're not dodgy Christians. You're not kind of people who are not really going for it. You are the best Christians. You're absolutely flying. He's already described them in chapter 1 as um, fruitful people. It's why the, the video and the logo has a tree in it, because he's all about how they're so flourishing and fruitful, all right? He celebrates them. He thinks they're doing really well. And yet, for those type of Christians... He says there's a real danger that you are actually deluded, that you've been deceived, that you've got distracted. And so Paul isn't here just saying, oi, people who don't really know about it, just make sure you do. He's saying, hey, brilliant, fruitful Christians, you might be deluded. And I'm going to say a load of stuff to you to help you get clear. Because if you think wrong things about life, it has implications for your life. And he doesn't want that for you. And God doesn't want that for you. And so he says a load of things in this passage. So we're going to read it. Now I do, um, this feels slightly blasphemous. I want it, this is slightly stodgy, this passage. But someone once said to me that if you, if you dig through Paul's letters, there's gold in them hills if you're willing to dig. So we're going to dig a bit, and I promise you there's good stuff here. Um, I will just say the first verse is one of the most controversial verses in all of the New Testament. And I asked Jonathan if this was okay to do, so this is not me. I said, Jonathan, is it okay, because I don't think that's really the main point of the passage, that I just sort of don't talk about that, and we do a blog on it later? Because we don't want to dodge it, but I don't want to spend 20 minutes trying to explain it. And he said, "Mm, okay. So, verse 24, we're not going to do, but it is coming. So if you're thinking, well, that's terrible, it's coming, either me or hopefully Jonathan is going to write a blog about it. Okay, so we're going to think about verse 24. I'll read it just so you can get thinking about it, but we'll, we'll read the rest of it as well. So it's uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, to Colossians chapter 2, verse 5. And remember, the big idea is saying all this so you don't get deluded, okay? Right, here we go. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh 
I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. Blog is coming. (laughs) Right. Number 25, of which I became a minister, uh, a, a leader, a worker, according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery, hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and Birmingham and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach All the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I'm absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. I say this so that no one may delude you. Please. That's what Paul's saying. And I think there's two main things that he wants you to be clear on, and he wants me to be clear on, and he wants us to be clear on in life. And he wants us to not be deluded, firstly, about the message, and secondly, he wants us to not be deluded about maturity. Okay? Don't be deluded about the message. Don't be confused about it. And don't be confused about maturity, what it means to grow. Get clear on those two things. So we'll just take them in turn. First up, um, don't be deluded about the message. Now, I wonder if any of you have ever had the experience that I've had uh, regularly uh, before I was a Christian. If you're not quite a Christian here and you're sort of dipping your toe, you might resonate with this. I've also had this experience many times since I've been a Christian. And I had this experience particularly uh, strenuously, yesterday I was on a training course and found myself very intimidated by the whole thing. And the experience is this Have you ever found Christianity quite confusing? <laughs> I have. Maybe I'm the only one, and we should swap roles quickly. Um, but I, I, I really have had that experience. There's so much to it, isn't there? You know, you look at a Bible, and even just to look at it, it's very big. There are a lot of things in it, there are a lot of long words in it. Okay, you may have had this experience of finding Christianity confusing when we read that passage about a minute ago, right? I did. Verse 24. What does it mean? <laughs> okay, it's confusing. There's a lot to it in Christianity. There's a lot of long words. There's a, there's a lot of stuff that was said a very, 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 very long time ago to people who are very, 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 very far away from us in geography. And how do we apply it to our lives? I find that very confusing. Um, I turned up at university um, a six-week-old Christian. So become not six weeks old. <laughs> I mean, I am clever, but uh, not, not that clever. Um, a six-week-old Christian had come to faith in the August and then headed off at the end of September and arrived at this thing called the Christian Union. Now, I thought this probably might be a place to sort of go because I'm a Christian and, you know, union sounds good, so let's go for that. And uh, it turned up, and they kept saying this phrase over and over again. 
They kept saying, what we are about as a, as a society, we are about sharing the Christian message. And I sort of was like, oh, yes, here, here. And uh, then as they begin to kind of talk about that, I started to just want, I said, what exactly do they mean by that? So do, are they going around campus going, hey, everyone, Leviticus is true. Leviticus is true. You know, or the ark was made from this type of wood. You know, like there are a lot of things in the Bible. What are we talking about here? Okay. And I sort of didn't ask it in that term, but slowly just nudged the person next to me and said, what are they talking about? And they begin to try and explain to me it in sort of more concrete terms. But there's an awful lot to Christianity. And I think one of the things that can happen is that we can feel very, very intimidated by Christianity because it's so big. Maybe we, we're happy to reach a certain point in our understanding, but we don't want to go any further because oh, it's just a bit confusing. All right? And maybe you're here looking into Christianity and you think, there are so many things here that I don't get. All right, But he says, don't be deluded about the message. Don't be deluded about the message. And he says that quite simply, the message is Jesus Christ. That's the message. Now, I'm not trying to suggest to you that Christianity isn't vast and broad and, and actually confusing in lots of its stuff. You know, we would expect that, wouldn't we? If there's an eternal God who made everything and who knows your great-great-great-great-grandma and knows your great-great-great-great-grandchild and you don't know either of those people, but he does, okay, you, you know, you would expect that if Rich Pitts began to engage with this God, that it would be, to some degree, stretching. <laughs> we would expect that. Even I, again, can admit that about myself, that it, little me in little Birmingham, in little 21st century, that it's, it's vast, there's a lot to it. But actually, also, Paul would really want to stress, it's actually, at its heart, it's really, really simple. It's Jesus Christ. That's the message. So look at just uh, verse 25. Let's just look at it. Uh, Verse 25. uh, I became a minister, says Paul, according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. This is my job. And just so you know, this is the job of Jonathan and all the other elders. You should pray for your elders because this is a massive job. Look what they've got to do to make the word of God fully known. Big, confusing. Oh, how could they ever do it? The mystery hidden for ages and generations. This mystery that Abraham would have wanted to know about. And, and David kind of sort of knew about, but not really. And Ruth and Esther and Daniel, they wanted to know about, but they didn't quite get it. And Jonathan and the elder's job, and Paul's job, is to make that fully known to you. Too confusing to even think about. But don't be deluded. Look at verse 26. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed. Okay? If I'm in a mask, you don't know who I am. But when I take it off, ah, oh, it's rich. And you'd all be terrified. <laughs> now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to keep hidden and confusing. No. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles. Let's just pause there. The Gentiles, strange word. What does that mean? It means kind of people who have not got this, all, this religious heritage. They're not kind of Billy Graham okay? They're on the outside of things. They're not always in the temple understanding things and saying, I understand all the Old Testament. Leviticus basically learned it off by heart, mate. All good. They're not those sorts of people. They're on the outside. And God has made known to every man, normal people, people on the fringes, people like me, (laughs) he's made known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ. Christ. Specifically, Christ in you, Christ in you, Christ in you. Close relationship with the person, Jesus. 
That's what the whole of your Bible is about. Don't be deluded about the message. It's about close relationship with Jesus. Now, I wonder if, just like the Colossians, we're a little bit tempted to just get a bit muddled on this, okay? To just lose track of the fact that the Christian life is about the Christ, okay, the Christ. It's not about primarily rotors, oh, all right? <laughs> okay, it's not. They are good, okay? But it's not about that. And it isn't about turning up and making sure you're on time and grinding out some small talk over coffee because you're a good Christian. That's good to do, though. That is good to do. (laughs) I appreciate that when you do that with me. Thank you. Okay? It's not actually primarily about cramming your life with loads of stuff that sort of sounds a bit Christian. Okay? It isn't actually about that. That's fine. But it's not about that. I wonder if this is why we sometimes find reading the Bible a little bit dull. Okay, you flick open Leviticus and you're told about kind of a, a pigeon that is going to be killed in a certain way. And you go, oh, that really spoke to me this morning, Lord, thank you. And, and it didn't, and we're, <laughs> and we're a bit confused by it, okay? And I wonder if the notion of growing as a Christian, we think that means growing on rotors and more bring and share lunches to cook for. No! And, you know, and you kind of fear it, all right? But it isn't about that, it's about him. It is about Jesus Christ in you, a close relationship with the person, Jesus. He carries on in verse 28, him we proclaim, him. This is Paul who stood on mountains and eloquently unfolded the mysteries of God. This is Paul who wrote Romans. Have you seen Romans? It's long. It doesn't actually just say Jesus, 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 Jesus. There's lots of things there. This doesn't mean that Paul never talks about anything else and he doesn't like the Holy Spirit and he's not really into the Father. Just Jesus. Yeah, that doesn't, that's not what it means. It doesn't mean that there's not things to think about the cross and the resurrection and justification and sanctification and holiness and growing and all these different things in the church. There is, there's lots there. But actually when you sum it up, Paul says, him, Jesus. Jesus, what a relief. Um, I love how the Jesus Storybook Bible explains what the... Uh, what the Bible is. Um, I saw it here. Someone brought it. That's amazing. So, uh, is, it, is it yours? Ah, uh, oh, it's the kids' work one. Good. Well, that's encouraging because um, I bought the Jesus Storybook Bible long before I had um, a child to read it to um, because I'd heard it was incredible. And honestly, before I had a baby or a child or anything like that, it is the most vibrant quiet times I've ever had. I promise you. Like, this maybe says more about my other ones than it does about the book. But um, it's an amazing book, okay? And what it does, its big idea is we're going to tell all the stories that the kids love from the Bible. Oh, Daniel and the lions. Oh, cool. And it makes it really fun. But actually, it has this conviction that overall, it's about one person. It's about Jesus, the Jesus Storybook Bible. And in its intro, I don't have this quote on the screen, but um, let me read this to you. Imagine that you are a toddler, and I'm reading to you from the first page of the Jesus Storybook Bible. Okay, it says this. Now, some people think the Bible is a book of rules, telling you what you should and shouldn't do. The Bible certainly does have some rules in it, and so does Colossians. Give it about three weeks and you'll get some, okay? They show you how life works best, but the Bible isn't mainly about you and what you should do. It's about God and what he has done. Other people think the Bible is a book of heroes showing you people you should copy. The Bible does have some heroes in it, but most of the people in the Bible aren't heroes at all. They make some pretty big mistakes, sometimes on purpose. 
They get afraid and run away. At times, they're downright mean. Now, the Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story, an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, to rescue the one he loves. There are lots of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story. Every story in the Bible whispers his name. He is like the missing piece in a puzzle, the piece that makes all the other pieces fit together. And suddenly you see a beautiful picture. Him, Jesus. There's a lot to it, okay? And you go to a life group and a Sunday service and there's lots to think about and there's books and all of that is brilliant, but it's all designed to help you know him. So don't panic. Don't be intimidated by being a Christian. It's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And that just links us really neatly to our second point, um, slightly quicker. Um, Don't be deluded about the message, Paul says, but don't be deluded about maturity, okay? Secondly, don't be deluded about maturity. Now, we all want to grow, I expect, as people. We all want to mature. Some of you are thinking, I've matured enough. I don't mean age, okay? So, (laughs) you know, no offense, Uh, uh, all of us want to mature, don't we? Okay, we want to flourish as a person. Even if you're here, you're not a Christian, you're just dipping your toe. You want to flourish as a human, don't you? That's been the central aim of every society, hasn't it? The pursuit of happiness, the enlightenment. We want to become who we could be. That's a human desire, okay? And as Christians, we really want to grow. And I want to grow. You know, one of the things that grieves me most in my life, really, is the fact that I'm not what I could be, right? I'm not trying to get down on myself, okay? I'm not what I was, so that's good. (laughs) Um, But I'm not what I could be. I hope I'm not what I will be. And I don't think I'm as kind, uh, interesting, or funny as my Facebook persona is. (laughs) Like, I'm not deliberately trying to pretend there. I'm not trying to be a hypocrite and present a false life. But I'm just, I'm not sharing my lowlights in my statuses. They're my highlights, okay? And I'm not quite where I could be. I want to mature. And the Colossians wanted to mature. And there were lots of people going around at the time telling them, this is how you really grow. Okay, You have to become like the Dalai Lama with some secret wisdom. Sort of a Dalai Lama, the Pope, Stephen Fry, all thrown together. Like incredible wisdom that you could never attain to in your life. And that's how you really grow. Okay, That's how you mature. But Paul would say, don't be deluded about maturity. And a little bit predictable. It's found in Jesus. It's found in him. Now, it feels like a bit of a cop-out, doesn't it, to say that? You know, you want to flourish as a human. Ah, it's about about Jesus. You go, what does that mean, though? But Paul really lays this out really clearly. He says in chapter 1, verse 28, it will come up, that he longs to present the Colossians mature. It's what gets him out of bed in the morning. It's what he strives for. It's what he eats his Weetabix for, to get out and make them mature. But he doesn't simply mean for them to grow a beard. Or, or kind of get a mortgage, <laughs> or learn how to do things in life, like get a diary. He doesn't mean mature just in life skills. He says not just to get more organized in your life or be more sort of moral. He says, I want them to mature in Christ. That's what maturity is. In chapter 2, he puts it another way. He wants the Colossians to reach, wouldn't you love this, all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. He wants them to mature. What is it? It's Christ. 
in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Would you like me to today, instead of bringing socks, they are clean, don't worry. Instead of bringing socks, would you like me to have brought to you all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge? That would have been better, (laughs) right? And I could have thrown them out and you'd have fought to the death to get them, whereas these you'd run away from. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, where are they? They're in Jesus. And so maturity, growing as a person, becoming who you could be, it's found in relationship with the one in whom is everything good and everything wise and everything mature. Now, if you're not a, a Christian here, um, kind of been looking into things, I want to just address you just specifically just for a few moments before I kind of broaden this out. Um, and I want you to just come with me, even if you're thinking, I'm not into this Jesus guy. That's fine, okay? I'm not going to rush you on that. But I want you to come with me just on the logic of this from Paul. Paul is saying that growth as a person, human flourishing, comes... When you, when, you, when you relate to Jesus, okay? And I just want you to come with me on the logic, even if you think that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Come with me on the logic, okay? Think with me about this example. When I um, am building my IKEA wardrobe, okay, uh, which goes terribly, let me tell you. Uh, when I'm building my IKEA wardrobe, what's the most important step in the process? Is it the, the, the screwing on of the handle at the end? And it's, it's quite hard to hold that bit while screwing that bit. It's tricky. Is it that bit? No. Is it the making sure the rail is straight? Is that the most important bit? No. What's the most important step? The most important step is when I get the instructions, right? Now, or don't get the instructions, which is why there's a chair in our garden furniture, which the back is on back to front. It's very uncomfortable to sit on. And it's been like that since we built it about six years ago, and I haven't changed it. And I never will. So there we go. Um, But the most important step is when you get the instructions out. Now, why is that? That's because of just a really simple principle in life that we all know. And that's that the maker knows best how something functions to its full potential. Okay? That's obvious. So the, the car manufacturer, the toy manufacturer, the, the iPhone designer, the medicine maker, the, the wardrobe designer, they know best how to something works to its full potential. And Paul is saying that's the same with you. That if you want to flourish and you want to mature and you want to work, not just kind of, oh, I've got a creaky bit and my door doesn't shut, but actually flourish as you should be, Paul says you need your maker. And that's why he says, go to Jesus, because Jesus, as we've seen in Colossians, is not just some bloke who's got some things to say. He's the image of the invisible God. He's, he's the one at the center of the universe. He dreamt you up and breathed you out and holds you together. And he knows how to make you flourish. And flourishing and maturity is not found in cold shrugging off of Jesus, this religious guy. It's found in warm acceptance of the one who knows you and put you together. So if you're just dipping your toe, this is where you need to focus your attention as you critique Christianity. Forget what what the ark was made out of for now. If you figure it out, come and tell me. Okay, forget that. If you want to flourish as a human, you need to see, is Jesus my maker? And if he is, you know what to do. Get close to him because he knows best how to make you flourish. But I just want to broaden it out before we finish, just to those of you who are following Jesus, who've been doing it maybe for decades or whatever. And I, I just want you to, to see again who Paul is speaking to here. He isn't saying, look, 
kind of proper Christians have got this nailed, but I'll have, write a little letter to the fringe ones. He's saying, Colossian Christians, who are the best Christians ever? I want you not to be deluded about maturity, okay? So if you think you know this, Rich, if you're speaking about it and you think you kind of know about it, listen to God, Rich. You guys, listen to God. Don't be deluded about maturity because Paul would say that even as a keen Christian, you are really susceptible to forget that maturity in the Christian life is just about knowing Jesus. He says, you're tempted to think it's about rules. That's what he says in the next bit of this letter. He says, lots of people are all about attending this and doing this and making sure you do this and making sure you do this. And that's where their focus is. And he says, no. And lots of people, they're all about getting this quick life hack into their life and this clever pithy quote from sort of Instagram and that will solve everything this sort of clever words will so- no 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 maturity in your life Jesus Jesus it's about Jesus come back to Jesus my old boss used to say um, to me that the way in in the Christian life is the way on in the Christian life how did you come to Jesus Rich he would ask me and I say oh well I sort of realized I didn't quite have it all together I came to this guy called Jesus I appreciated him I sort of said I'd like to know you please and serve you and that's how I became a Christian and he says the way in is the way on come to the person Jesus say you appreciate him bow the knee to him try and get to know him more and serve him that's maturity not rotors not rules but Jesus. And I just wonder, um, as we kind of begin to land, I wonder if this is why perhaps we fear the notion of, going to use a buzzword here, discipleship. Ooh, right, ooh. <laughs> what does that mean? Discipleship, this idea of growing as a follower of Jesus. I wonder if it's why we fear it. And I wonder if this is why we fear discipling someone else Okay, I think the reason we fear coming alongside another Christian and helping them grow is we think we're just not capable of that. Because who are we? We don't know Leviticus off by heart. We don't know all the secrets to life. Oh gosh, we could never develop someone. This is perhaps why we fear and get intimidated about parenting our children as Christians. It's why I look at Grace and I think, this is my daughter, and I think, how on earth will I parent you to love Jesus and hate sin but love the sinner there's so much nuance there. How am I going to achieve that in your life? Oh, I'm intimidated. I wonder if it's why I'm intimidated about praying out in worship because I think, oh, I'm not capable of that. I, I'm not capable of that. But if all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in Jesus, then that is a complete game changer. What does parenting look like? I've got to talk to her about him. What does maturity look like in the church? You've got to talk to other people about him. You can do that because you know him. You don't know him perfectly, but he's got all the wisdom and the knowledge. So take other people to him, right? Uh, we're basically done. Um, I just want to finish by, um, by saying that I, I, think I, I, I think we can sometimes be like one of my heroes in the New Testament in her bad moment, okay? And who my hero in the New Testament is is the woman at the well. Okay, do you know her? Um, she's this kind of broken woman, and um, she's, she's at a well, and uh, Jesus walks up to her. You know the story? He walks up to her, and uh, she's kind of an outsider, and he walks up to her, and he says, hello, and he says this profound sentence, can I have a drink? It's not profound, okay? He just said, can I have a drink from the well? And she goes, whoa, what? I'm a woman 
you can't talk to me. I'm a Samaritan woman. You can't talk to me. It just doesn't work. It's not polite. It's not how the culture works. And uh, there's a moment there where it's about to break down. And Jesus says this incredible thing. This really is profound. He says, if you knew who I was, if you knew who you were talking with, you would ask him for living water. You would ask him for water that would bring flourishing in your life, that would make you into all you could be. You would ask him for water that brings joy and peace and nourishment and all of that into your life. You would ask him and he would give it to you and he would give it to you and it would never end. It would never dry up. You could have that. And you're thinking, oh, what? don't miss this moment. Don't miss this moment, Samaritan woman. And she says this desperately sad sentence. It comes good, don't worry. But in this moment, she says this sad sentence. She goes, when the Messiah comes, I'll ask him. Right? And it's almost as if she's just about to go, cheers, but I'm all right for now, and just, and just walk off. And you're going, it's like a pantomime. You're going, no, 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 he's right. It's not he's behind you. He's in front of you. <laughs> he's right there. Living water, nourishment for your life is right in front of you. You are speaking to him. Please don't get confused and walk off and discount yourself because you don't know Leviticus off by heart and go and blah, blah, blah. But he's right there. You can touch him. You can have living water. And Jesus solves it all and he just goes, I who you're speaking to am he. Or rather, he goes, it's me. It's me. Right? And at that moment, she receives living water and she receives nourishment and flourishing in her life. And she runs back to her town, this broken woman, the talk of the town for a bad reason. And she runs back and she brings, it says, many in that town to follow Jesus. She doesn't know Leviticus. She's never even heard of Leviticus. She wouldn't know how to do the most profound prayer on a Sunday. But she knows him. And she tells people about him. She goes, let me tell you about a man who told me everything I ever did. Let me ju- I haven't got that he's one part of the Trinity, but he's sort of the same. Ooh. She's not read all the books, but she knows him. And God would say to us, don't miss the one who's right in front of you. Don't get deluded about the message, him. Don't get deluded about maturity, him.